Devon Toner has been a cornerstone of Irish rugby for the guts of two decades, winning multiple European Cups Pro 14s and the hearts of the fans with his graft week in, week out. As part of the national squad, he's won almost everything there is to win, including that unforgettable victory over New Zealand in Chicago, which we talk about here. This year, though, Devon Toner made history by making his 262nd appearance for Leinster, the most of any player ever. Seems like there's never been a better time to sit down with him to look back on it all. If you'd like to hear the full conversation, including a further 40 minutes on Joe Schmidt, uh, his experience of online trolls, concussion and more, just head over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and become a premium member for as little as a fiver. You'll gain access to hundreds of rugby episodes, including Jerry Flannery, Keith Wood, Ronan O'Gara, Shane Horgan, Peter Stringer, Dunico Callahan, and many, many more. My chosen charity partner is, as always, Jigsaw.ie, Irish youth mental health charity doing incredible work to help young people through this pandemic and beyond. That's Jigsaw.ie, my chosen charity partner, who I'm also running 2,000 kilometres for. Yeah, I took this on with Sonia Sullivan eight months ago to run 2,000 kilometres for Jigsaw.ie. It's the Irishman running abroad challenge you can be part of it just listen to the Sonia Sullivan podcast every Tuesday with me and I've been taking people from couch to beyond 5k people have joined up who've never run before like me never ever run I couldn't run a bath till the start of this conversations with Sonia and here I am now well on my way to 2000 kilometers support me on that journey on idonate.ie but if you're uh, into running or even thinking about getting back into it it's not a bad place to start with Sonia Sullivan on a Tuesday of course Marion McKeown put an episode in on Friday that really blew my mind the Enron episode that we've been working on for a long long time doesn't disappoint you get full access to all that and all our episodes by becoming a premium member on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad that's the small talk now let's get down to business now your program what's the big idea well, they're going to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Devin Toner, it's brilliant to finally have you on Irish Man Abroad. And I said to you before we hit record that it's hard to find a good time because I just always have the impression that you guys are just always, there's always something. You're always being pulled one direction or the other. But I guess you've kind of come through a year where everything has been in a state of flux for you. Now that it's kind of settled, that you're here, uh, you're going to remain at Leinster for the foreseeable future anyway, it must be an opportunity to breathe out. Like, how did you deal with the kind of not knowing part of all of that? 
No, yeah, it was it was hard. Like obviously, it's it's a hard when any like contract negotiations come up, or if you're if you're thinking about going off, or you're thinking about going somewhere else, it's 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 always a stressful time of year. But once you have Obviously, that you're, you're, once you sign the dotted line, you kind of know what you're doing for the next year or two. Then you kind of bit of a sigh of relief, and you're like, okay, right, we'll 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 focus on the next year now and what we need to do and where we need to go mm-hmm. and kind of plan the next year or two. So it's uh, you, it's a bit of a sigh of relief when you when you finally get it sorted. Yeah, I'd say so because like among the things that none of us will ever quite understand is just that that's that side of it that people well, particularly my game i know what uncertainty feels like and i know that my year is built around some very movable feasts and this could come up and then you'd have to change things around for that but for people that work in offices and steady jobs that sense of all this could change is something that they have no concept of You've never had an office job or any job whatsoever outside of, I understand you did a stint laboring one summer. Is that correct? <laughs> I, did a, I, did, I did a stint. I did one summer laboring for a, a local builder in Manalby called Sula McGuire. My, my, like, my, she, my mother grabbed me. She was like, you're not staying at home all summer. So she dragged me She dragged me down to one of the local houses that he was working in and said, Cyril, do you have a job for Devon for the summer? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so I was laboring there for the summer. But How did that go? Than, Ah, it was great crack, great crack. It was like you obviously learn a lot. Like, do you know what I mean? It was it was literally just like lugging bags of cement and tiles and and cleaning up the place really. Like, so but it was um it was it was great crack and it was good to get a few bob and in the, in the, a bit of cash in the hand at the end of the week. Like, it's mad that like though that this is the only job you've known outside yeah, of that yeah, uh, period yeah. of lifting those bags. I, I, I did get a bit of a, um, so my, my family business, my dad and my dad, my, my brother, they're in the transport business. So I did get a few, a few summers here and there, like working, I was usually in the office and my brother was usually in the warehouse. Hmm. So I was doing all the filing and all that sort of, and then we kind of did a few stints in the warehouse as well. So messing around on forklifts <laughs> and stuff. But other than that, no. <laughs> yeah, like it, like I find that outside of, you know, 18 months in an office myself, I've never known anything other than this life. And, mm. you know, it, it is strange to think that this unusual career has been your path, that this is all you've known. When you're, you know, let's say first year secondary school, there must have been another vision for your life. Like everybody has some kind of thought going into secondary school. I wouldn't mind doing that for a living. What was that for you? Yeah, to be honest, like, I'm going to be completely honest. I, I didn't know. I never knew. I, I, st- I still really don't know, to be honest. Like, so when I, I, I'll be in secondary school. I, you have a vague, obviously, idea of what you like and what you don't like i mm. kind of love I, I in school i loved maths i loved kind of sciencey i kind of loved kind of practical stuff like so i don't know wh- whether i wanted to be in the kind of science world or maybe computer world or, or something to mm. do along that but what it was i never knew do you know what i mean mm. and then kind of when i got to kind of fourth year fifth year sixth year kind of fifth year and sixth year kind of got more more uh, serious into the rugby and then obviously I was thinking about playing rugby after school got into Leinster Academy got to Ireland under 20s Leinster 20s Leinster Academy kind of then kind of worked all the way up and while 
leaving school in six years, I was, I was like, okay, I'll try arts from UCD, <laughs> as, as a lot of people do. Yeah. And then I quickly realized, okay, arts isn't for me, so I kind of dropped out of arts. And then I still, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I ended, I ended up getting a, a degree in sports management in UCD, but still not knowing what to do. But then, but then as I was going, kind of the rugby, rugby career and the rugby trajectory kind of got higher and higher. I was kind of getting in my way. So like I never really thought about what I really wanted to do as a as a as a job I still really don't to be honest <laughs> well is that like let's slow it down a little bit because part of that would be I'd imagine that some of you was going I don't want to think about seriously about having a job outside of rugby because that psychologically is a is a kind of an acceptance that this isn't going to work out you have to kind of go at it with all your energy like this is the plan this is where i'm going this is what i'm all about would that be part of the reason why you didn't firmly commit a lot of thought to that yeah i I, i'm sure that probably is in the back in the back of my mind when i was thinking about it like i think to be able to to do well at your career, you need to focus a lot of attention on it, and it's very hard to do anything else. I think the mindset around the younger guys now has changed a lot from mm. what it was about 16 years ago. Do you mean so? Like, there's some lads in the Leinster squad now who are full on college as well, like Josh Murphy, who's in the Leinster squad now, just qualified as a doctor, and he's 26, 27. So he was he was doing a, <laughs> a medical degree as well as doing a, a full time a full-time uh, rugby career so it's i think the mindset has changed hugely from what from when i from when i started yeah, to be honest, well, yeah well so when we go back right to six foot two you in secondary school and you know you you've said this in other interviews about that when that academy situation came up that you weren't the most outgoing person and that maybe the the environment there you weren't sure if it was for you. Now, I, I think a lot of people can relate to this, that sense of sometimes people fall out of sport because they don't have that super piss takey attitude or the confidence in their own personality to give as good as they get. And instead, they just get battered by uh, Mickey taking and feel like, oh, I'm never going to I'm never going to fit with the gang. Was was that a. Was that you f- for those first few years? Am I am I on the wrong track here, or was is this right? I, th- I suppose a little bit. Like, there's always so many different characters when you when you, when you come to a team situation, you know. And as you said yourself, I I, I wasn't very outgoing. I was kind of I I wasn't I wasn't the one doing the Mickey taking. I wasn't the slagging. Do you know what I mean? I I just kind of loved playing the game, and and I and I loved being involved. I don't think there was ever a chance of me giving up anything. Do you mean? Because I just loved team sports so much. I loved playing Gaelic for Minalvi when I was young. I loved kind of playing her a little bit. And then when I got to rugby, I just loved it so much. I was never going to give it up, to be honest. Mm. I loved being a part of the team. But I, I can see how what you're saying would actually happen. You know, so I... And, and, and like I have seen it where, where, where people have, have dropped out just because they're, they're, they're not enjoying it. They don't like the environment. Mm. But wasn't but a thought in your head at all. It wasn't a thought for me of ever giving up. No, yeah, because that comes up a lot, right? So when I go through, you know, what, and you've had quite a period now after, you know, reaching this milestone of caps for Leinster, where people are reflecting on 
what it was that got you to this place that this you know this is a pretty monumental achievement that many caps holding this position now it, like people have started to go well how did that occur now you jokingly go <laughs> <laughs> you jokingly go because i never got injured right but some of it is you know bare knuckle brass tacks pure resilience not quitting like you say it never even comes into your head to ease back where do you think that comes from yeah I, I, i've never really thought that hard about it to be honest and i never really had a choice not to give up well not not that i didn't have a choice but i just i just loved what i was doing and i do i know i said i said it jokingly that's is because i never got injured i got that many caps but I've been very fortunate in my, in my career journey and like uh, everyone would say it that you kind of some people get their shots when other people get injured. I've said it before like I've I got my shot with Leinster when Leo got injured in the Heineken Cup and in, in the, it was a it was a I was on the bench for a Heineken Cup game and Leo got injured against Wasps and I, I ended up playing all the pool games that year in, in the Heineken Cup and then I kind of that's when I kind of started and then I got my Ireland kind of shot when Paulie got injured and I got kind of a couple of couple of caps then and then it all kind of started building after that. Mm. So I know I said it jokingly, but it it, 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 it it has happened. And like the amount of caps that you get, it's it's obviously when, if you're available for selection, when people are injured, then you're going to be kind of selected. And mm. obviously you're, how you're playing and, and your form and, and, and everything has, has a bit to do with it. You need to be able to show that you can do it, first of all, when you're young, to keep getting selected. But yeah, I'm not really sure where <laughs> where the resilience come from, to be honest, but... I've just hung, hung in there, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you don't, we don't tend to reflect on, you know, why we are the way we are. And a lot of it is, you know, your folks, just kind of the model that you're kind of modeling what's presented to you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if quitting yeah. isn't in the house or mm-hmm. easing back isn't there, then it's just not something that you kind of scratch your head over other people that do it. But yeah. certainly the height thing must form your personality right because it's it's the unmistakable first impression that people get and that you have to walk around with every day from a very early age with people commenting and people you know treating you differently and you having to move through the world where the world isn't kind of set up for you how does that affect you Again, I think my kind of personality is just I just kind of I just get on with it to be honest, and and I and I I deal with anything that comes up as as it happens, and I just try not to let anything kind of phase me. I suppose like one of the most annoying things is is getting is is flying. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're only doing a long half a long half flight or something like obviously. With with rugby, it's brilliant. If you're doing a long haul flight, you're you're in business and you're able to you're able to stretch your legs. But if you're if you're buying if you're buying flights to yourself, or you're going on holidays. You need to make sure you have an emergency exit first of all. Yeah. And then if you if you don't, you're absolutely screwed. You know. So it's just little things like that, or like, and I, I like I've just kind of gotten used to it as as, as the years gone by, and I and I um. And try to deal with it as best I can. I suppose, like I, I've never, I've never seen it as 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 uh, as something bad. You know what I mean? I've 
I kind of love the height I am. I love being 6'10", and, and I didn't necessarily love it when I was growing up, but now I've obviously grown into it, and and, and, and I, uh, I love it, to be honest. Well, I just find it, uh, like, when, like when I was young, I definitely wanted to be that height. I, I, like, that was the height I wanted to be. I, I was mm-hmm. super obsessed with basketball. So, mm. to me, it was like, this is the meal ticket. <laughs> like if I can get to that height uh, and I will dangle off, you know, monkey bars <laughs> if I have to. But I guess as, as time went on and I, I knew different lads in the Ireland set up different basketball lads that were uh, around your height. I, I guess I started to feel like, well, you know, it, it probably is a bit of a pain in the hole at times. And then I just kind of realized that there's no option to blend in. Are you at all envious of lads that are able to stick on a baseball cap and just not get noticed? I thought now and again, but in the main part, no, I've never really felt envious at all about trying to do it. As I say, like now I don't, but when I was grown up, I did very much so like grown up. Like I, I, I hit six foot 10 when I was probably around, I'm going to guess 16, 17, I suppose. Mm. And so, like, I think my 14, 15, 16, that, 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 when I was that age, is when I really wanted to be able to just, just blend in or whatever. Like, I had people coming up and taking pictures of me when I was like 17, 18, like, and they haven't a clue about rugby. Do you know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm used to people getting taken pictures of me, but <laughs> we didn't have a clue who I was. Like, so, and like, I remember going to like a, uh, to an Irish international Lanzar Road and I had a schoolboy ticket and I was in the schoolboy stand and I, people looking at me saying, he's not a schoolboy, get him out of here. <laughs> so, sort of thing, like, do you know what I mean? But I, I hated that attention on me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was because I'm naturally an, an, intro, an introvert, you know what I mean? So I don't, I, did, I never really liked this, you know what I mean? So. And, and extremely hard to get the shift at that age, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The academy thing, right, as you say, it's changed so much that like, schools like at Michael's comes up all the time for how, you know, it's it's nearly a feeder system for this Leinster Academy and that the mindset of this is where I'm going with my life and this is where I'm preparing myself that, you know, you and I essentially come from a time when you didn't think that way, where you're like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. these lads are focused on it so early on that I'd imagine that when you see them come in the door, hard enough to relate in some ways. I guess there there's certain things you can relate to, but that kind of zeroed in laser focus from an early age, I mean, it must be hard to to kind of understand. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes and no, I suppose. Like it's uh, the laser focus for my general, my lads, you know what I mean? my kind of contemporaries, you know what I mean, kind of came at the tail end of our kind of academy journey, say like second or third year academy and kind of when you know your kind of development contract, kind of that kind of, then the laser focus starts happening. Then you're like, oh, I actually have a future. I'll I'll be able to kind of do it more. But when the lads are coming in first year academy, they know what they want. They're they're already like ready for rugby. So when we were, when we come into the academy, we weren't, we weren't necessarily ready for, for full senior rugby, do you know what I mean? But the lads are coming in now being able to ready to go. So I think, they know what they want very early on. And I think that it probably happens in school as well, because from what, from what I hear, the setups in school these days are, 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 are like the Lenser Academy. So there's, so they're, they're lifting weights 
by the time they're, I don't know, 15, 16 and they're, and they're ready to go when they get out of school. Like, so it's, um, it is a lot different to when, uh, when, when I got out of school. Like. Yeah. I mean, it is, um, like all, all through the episodes that we've done with rugby guys, the change that took place when professionalism came in, you would think, and that's how it's, it's going to be right there the professionalism comes in and it's just it's just like this but it feels like it's ramped up in the last eight years does it not it feels mm. like it's it's nearly gone to a dangerous level in some ways mm. uh, and i'm not putting words in your mouth here but there there has to be a downside to that whether it's lads learning or girls learning to play all sports and actually become good sports people and good uh, with their body in general that they're they've got a, a multitude of skills footwork and ability to assess situations different more experience a broader sense of sport uh, being taken away or the fact that if it doesn't work out for you and you've been that focused on it early on the amount of heartbreak and kind of sense of loss at the end of that must mm. be immense. Have you encountered either of those two things, or or is that something that gets reflected upon? Well, I think when it comes to the Leinster Academy, like the Leinster Academy is hard to get into in the first place. Like there's a sub academy, and then there's academy, and then there's like uh, then they move on. So I think it's it, it's it's so hard to get into if it doesn't work out for you in the Leinster Academy. There are other avenues to keep going in the professional rugby setup. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like. I think it, it obviously our academy has a very good name to it, and other teams will have seen that. Or you're obviously got into the Lancashire Academy, you you obviously have something to you. So a lot of people have stopped playing with Leinster and gone on and played so and, and had a career somewhere else. Gotcha. So do you know what I mean? So they can go to the Championship in England. They can go to other provinces. They can go to Pro D two in France, and they can keep on playing. So the avenues aren't completely gone i think w the lads who do, who don't make it in Leicester academy and who don't go somewhere else i think they never really would have wanted in the first place you know what i mean they're kind of they're they're in the Leicester academy because they were played schools rugby and they're really good and they got over the contract and whatever and if it didn't work out okay then they're going to do college they're going to finish college in dublin they love they love living in dublin they're going to work here do you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i think the lads who really want it are really focused if it doesn't work in the Leicester academy we'll go somewhere else yeah i mean the other thing that I mentioned there was the, you know, the broadening of the horizon, the the sense mm. that you're specialized in one thing a, yeah. a, along the way has to be a, a concern or is it or is it? I mean, surely it's better for kids to be playing as many sports as possible. Absolutely. I'm a, a huge believer in that. I think like I played Gaelic until I was 16. I think that's been, that was a huge plus for me being able to being able to like hand eye coordination, ball skills and being able to catch a high ball, I think. That was huge for me. Um, I think up until six year, they should be playing as many sports as they can. But it obviously doesn't become realistic. You can keep doing that once you get out, once you get out of school and once you get into college, once you get into academy, you can't really continually play the other sports, you know. So I think you need to be able to focus them. But I think up until six year, you need to be able to play as much as you can anywhere is, else. Is this on your mind though about what we're doing with youngsters now that? you know, you've got a couple of them in front of you, because I know for myself that I didn't really reflect on any of these thoughts until there's a little human being mm -hmm. who 
is failing to catch a ball, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my concern that I was lobbing him the ball and he wasn't catching it. <laughs> it was like, Keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> Keep looking at it. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, there was this, and you, you can tell me if you relate to this, that the way I was coached is not how I would coach my son. It just isn't. So there would have been an awful lot of bollocking given out back when I was playing. And I'm pretty sure it would have been the same for you. That like, yeah. <laughs> the question of, like when it came to Gaelic football, a sentence that was often shouted at me was, uh, what the fuck do you think you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Not Gaelic football, obviously. No. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was the problem, Dev, was that I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so it was actually a really good question. Yeah, yeah. I get the impression that it's, become a lot harder to coach kids from the perspective of you're not meant to do that anymore even if that needs to be asked of, of a kid how much are you reflecting on that and how much do you see a change taking place in how youngsters are encouraged and coached early yeah. doors to be completely honest I, I i haven't seen any do you know what i mean so like my i've got um i i, I haven't seen how they are actually being coached at the minute, like how six, seven, or eight year olds are being coached, ten year olds, I haven't really seen that much. So I'm only kind of starting in that world of being a parent. So mm. Max is Max is four in September, and uh, we've actually just only started uh, doing a little bit of rugby toss on Saturday morning, which is he absolutely loves. Do you know what I mean? But like, I don't really know that coaching world yet, and I'm, and I, I think it's going to be a bit of an eye opener to see when we start getting into kind of more team stuff. How it's kind of how it has evolved, I suppose. Like, I don't see myself, I, I don't see myself to be a kind of a coach for him. I don't want to coach him. I want him to play whatever he wants to play and do whatever he wants to do. But And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there for a kick around in, in the backyard. I'm going to be there to, obviously, give him a bit of a few insights. And But I think it's all about just kind of, for me and him, skills, do you know what I mean? Kicking the ball, catching the ball, doing whatever he wants, do you know what I mean? Trying to get the hand-eye working. Like, but, like, I'm not going to coach him. I think it's just going to be fun for whatever me and him and we're doing together. Yeah. I mean, it's part of that because in the way that there's a soccer mom stereotype in the States, that yeah. there is a rugby dad stereotype yeah. in yeah, Ireland. No, absolutely, there is. Yeah, of course there is. And um, I, I don't want to be that stereotype. I don't want to be that fella on the sidelines screaming at him saying, that's a, <laughs> that's a forward pass or something like that. You know, so... I don't want to be that person, but I'd, all all I want him to do is to enjoy what he what he's going to be playing, if he's going to be playing it at all. Mm. But I'm going to strongly encourage him to to, to play whatever he wants. I think it's wise because it's next to impossible to keep the friendship, keep the bond, and mm. the you know love going yeah. between you mm-hmm. when you adopt that role when when mm. you go into that position. Now you've played under coaches who have fully understood how to walk the line between being an ally to the guys but also being the boss and 100% I am the word of God here Uh, Mm -hmm. when I say it do it what have you observed from that like you've obviously seen it done well seen it done poorly seen people lose dressing rooms like what stands out from those coaches, from those that you've seen across every corner of your life that, you know, when I ask this question that comes to mind? What stands out? I think for them, good coaches, it's being able to, as you say, 
tread the line of being having very good interpersonal skills, but also being a really good coach and stamping your authority of what you want to do. You know, you need to be able to respect the coach. You need to be able to not fear them, but like you, to know that you don't want to upset them or you don't, or not upset them, but you don't want to disappoint them or you don't, you don't want to not do what they're saying. Do you know what I mean? So I think I remember, I think I heard Shawnee O'Brien talking about it recently about, about Michael Checker, that he was, and it just brought, brought me back to exactly what he used to do. Like he, he was very, very hard on the younger players of the squad. So when obviously we back in say like oh eight, oh nine, ten, you obviously had the the O'Driscolls, the Horgans, the Darcy's, all the the Dempsey's, the O'Kelly's, all the all the all the big guys. But then you had the the younger crew of us. It was me, Sean O'Brien, Johnny Sexton, Rob Carney, all the all the younger boys coming through as well. And he was kind of very hard on all of us younger younger, younger guys. In what way? Like if you do something wrong on the pitch, he'd shout at you. He'd obviously more, more than like he'd, he'd, he'd eat into you in, in a, in a video session. If you're doing something wrong, or I remember we played a Scarlet's game and, and, and I've, I got smashed in the tackle and I knocked it on. And he was like, he was like, what the, f- <laughs> am I allowed cursing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like, what the fuck was that? He was, was absolutely shy. Like, like laying you out in front of everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He'd be, and he'd be very hard on the younger guys. But on the flip side, if you played well and if you did something really good in a game, like he'd bring you into his office and he'd put you down and he'd be very soft spoken and he would give, show you the video saying, you see this, this was really good. Mm-hmm. We need to see more of that. And he'd go and he'd, he'd be very soft spoken and, and he'd be very interpersonal. And so his skills there were very good. So you come out of the office feeling like a million dollars, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just that being line of being able to do both. Like. So there you have it. That's the first little taste, first half of my conversation with Devon Toner. There's an awful lot more to get into in the second half. You can hear the whole thing, as I said, by becoming a premium member over on Patreon.com. We've given the place a whole big revamp over there. Come over and see how swanky it looks. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad is how we fund this podcast. But also you get access to so much more. Nearly four episodes every single week. For as little as a fiver. I'm massively proud of the rugby episodes that are up there and the Ronan O'Gara one alone for me is reason to sign up. If you haven't heard that episode it was recorded in around 2016. An epic hour and 30 deep dive with him into his life and career with Ireland. So maybe that's another reason to head over there but also Devon second half of this is a lot of fun big laughs and a deep dive into his experience in the joe schmidt years and beyond that online stuff concussions and lots lots more it's patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad brian Connolly's on production john marr does the extra research tina and mikey make it all possible and jigsaw.ie are my chosen charity partner